Welcome to Try Not to Blink, a podcast about the ups and downs, ins and outs, news, tips, and tricks of those who live the optometry lifestyle. We'd like to thank the amazing people at Valley Contacts who have made this podcast possible. Makers of stellar gas permeable lenses and the oh-so-incredible custom stable scleral lens. In case you're wondering, I'm on the East Coast. My name is Dr. James Diem, and I'm joined by my talented co-host, rep in the West Coast, Dr. Roya Habibi. What is up, Roya? You know, we... A lot. There's so much is up right now. I don't even know where to start. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. You know, we, as everyone who knows, our normal listeners know this, we are a Monday release episode kind of kind of group here. We, we try and be consistent for you all so you know what to expect and we can uphold your expectations. But we decided everything we've recorded so far, by the time it's actually released, it's too late. So we needed to do something better for you all. And that's why we decided to make a couple little mini segments for you all on common discussions that we're seeing in the different forums online, questions that a lot of people are asking about how to deal with this. So we're lining up some good content for you, a couple little insights or teasers. We've got some people for telemedicine coming on. We've got some legal teams coming on. Um, We may or may not have some high up people in AOA chatting with us. So be sure and tune in and listen. Check out if you aren't already su- subscribing to us so you can see when our our, our, our uh, surprise episodes are launched. And if there's anything that we don't cover that you want to hear about, absolutely send us a message on our Instagram, Facebook, call us, email us, whatever you want to do. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to try and get some more video content out there and uh, stay engaged with you closely. We know you are all uh, like us uh, going through lots of changes and we want to be there with you as this is going on. So there is no surprise uh, why this is all happening, right, Roya? It's uh, COVID-19, something everybody's probably sick and tired of hearing about. It might be a bad joke, but shouldn't it be called COVID-20? Yeah, you know what? I didn't really know what that even stood for. (laughs) So do you know what it stands for? COVID is stands for something about coronavirus and coronavirus disease. Numbered nineteen. It's it's of twenty two thousand and nineteen. That's actually where it came from. Okay, I didn't know coronavirus disease two thousand and nineteen. Yeah, so that's where it came from. And tell us a little bit about it. Well, so as I mentioned, or we may have already said this, we are recording this currently on the evening of March 24th. And so at this point, there's at least 4,000, sorry, 43,500 confirmed cases of COVID-19. And at least 537 patients have died with that virus. It has been confirmed that it's in every state. And as of Tuesday, so yes, well, today is Tuesday, New York has by far the largest outbreak in the country with confirmed 20,875 confirmed cases and almost 160 deaths. Um, The other states that have been hit hard, of course, are New Jersey, California, and my own Washington state. Now, Jimmy, you're in Pennsylvania. Uh, your, Your numbers are pretty low, but tell me a little bit about what you're doing in your practice right now. What's going on for you and 
how you've been yeah, practicing. Yeah, it's it's growing. Yeah, in this area, we have two confirmed cases. Um, in our in my county, in a neighboring county, we have two counties uh, that we practice in. Um, you know, physically, we have two locations. One in a in a county where there's only two confirmed cases. Another in a county where there's twenty confirmed cases. The twenty confirmed cases county is on. Um, shelter in place. And our other office that I'm currently sitting at, um, is, uh, because of my internet's not working at my house, uh, is, uh, uh, in just, um, life sustaining only mode. So we are doing emergency and urgent care. Um, just learned about, uh, telemedicine. So we're going to be implementing that, uh, in the next couple of days, hopefully. But, um, you know, I was in the office this morning, we had three or four of our office staff here. We had to lay off, uh, probably 70% of our staff, uh, hoping that that doesn't actually come to fruition. Uh, we paid them for a full week. Actually, we paid them for all of last week. We paid them for a full week this week. And then we said, you know, we'll probably have to collect unemployment uh, the following week and we're going to hope to supplement a portion of their um, pay so that they don't, you know, just receive a very small percentage of what they would normally so make. So you, you asked that or you temporarily laid them off? Like what's the like? Yeah. So it was interesting. Our conversation we had with them one day we had a. A meeting, an office meeting. We sat down literally one day, literally sat down and had a conversation with them. You know, let's all, you know, really try and keep our cool. Let's, you know, make sure we're practicing good sanitary guidelines. Let's, you know, really try and work this out. Let's try and be smart. And, um, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to stay afloat. And then literally the next day, you know, everything changed. The governor called and out a order for life sustaining only, you know, canceling all routine care. And, um, you know, we obviously had to change the way we do things. So, um, we basically just said, you know, this is, is where we're at. You know, the patients are lifeblood of our practice, so we don't have that anymore. And so we're going to try and, and continue with a small footprint. And, uh, so we had to make the decision, you know, who to keep and who not to keep, so to speak. And so, yeah, I mean, there were tears and people were very upset because, you know, they're feeling like this is the end of the road and, you know, they don't know if they're going to get their job back. So one of the, one of our staff did ask, you know, you guarantee that we'll get our job back. And, and we said, yeah, so that is how we feel. And that is the goal. Um, nobody knows what tomorrow's going to bring certainly, but that is our absolute intention and, and what we voiced in front of our staff. So that's what we're doing. Um, we're in, you know, week two of this. So again, everybody's being paid at full pay right now. And then week three, I guess you could say, um, the people who we laid off will be filing for unemployment. Now there's lots going on that we hope to talk about in the coming weeks as far as the, um, various methods and measures that are being taken place by the federal and state governments to help you know, uh, offices and small families and small businesses and peoples and individ- people and individuals. Uh, so, you know, lots to learn and we hope to bring that information to you. But right now that's what's going on in my office. So um, we're trying to take call. Like I said, I was in the office today. I saw five uh, emergency patients and a, a, a one-day retinal surgery uh, tear post-op. For me, we've being in Seattle, Washington, where the first confirmed case was, this was almost a month ago now, maybe more, 
kind of forget already. But um, 12 days ago, we actually were fully running. The clinics were kind of low, but everyone was pretty scared, although my clinic was maybe 75% full compared to normal. And 12 days ago, so it was two Thursdays ago, one of our staff started having a flu. She started having uh, trouble breathing. And it's one that I actually, it's, it's my lead technician, actually. And so our our whole staff and our whole office, actually, our main location, I work at our main, we have multiple satellite locations, but I'm in kind of our hub. And the whole clinic closed on the Friday. So that was on Friday the 13th, actually. We closed and they went through an entire deep clean of the entire facility. And... Um, it was pending her test, which was actually quite hard to get. She was, she went and got tested for COVID to make sure she didn't or did have it. And it was pending her test to see if I was going to have to be isolated for two weeks or if I could come wow. back to work the next week. So this was last week now. Normally, I don't have clinic on Monday, so I wasn't, I wasn't able to work. Her test results came in Monday, late in the day on Monday, and she tested negative for that. So I was like, woohoo. Back to work Tuesday. Clinic was reopened on Monday for any other providers that didn't have direct interaction with her. And so Monday was a normal clinic. Tuesday was a normal clinic. And then Tuesday, that would have been Tuesday the 17th, CDC came out with their guidelines saying all routine eye care should stop. And our clinic decided to close clinic through April 20th, I believe it was the date. And so Tuesday... Wednesday was my first day off. Wednesday the 18th, I had no work. Kind of took it as like a fun snow day, sort of, although I got to do stuff. It was great. But on Thursday, I got a phone call that I was being temporarily laid off. Hmm. And so me and essentially almost all the staff, except the most essential staff, we have our retina doctor still providing care, as that is considered pretty essential. And we have one or two, a couple of our shareholders are essentially rotating through our call list of really only emergent or necessary, fully necessary cases. So that's kind of where we are in our clinic. Of course, everyone's really worried, unless you're a manager of some sort or doing billing. Our call center is just down to our main call center, our, our manager of our call center. We have our biller in place still and, um, and just basically key staff to allow the doctors to do their job. I think even our doctors are doing front desk work, which most of them were never trained on that. So I'll see how that all kind of pans out. But we're planning <laughs> on staying closed for at least a month, although realistically in Seattle, it's probably going to take longer. Wow. But anyways, I mean, the reason that we wanted to come on and talk to you all is not to complain, but first of all, show that like we're all in this together and also kind of highlight some important things. I mean, I think that everyone at first, I mean, I'm sure I even said this on some of the last podcasts are like, who who's at risk? Should we be scared? Um, and I have a couple things that I wanted to present. I found a presentation online that actually is provided by a uh, emergency medicine MD. Her name is Erin Kathleen, Dr. Erin Kathleen. She's out of Georgia. And she has a presentation that was shared online called Influenza versus COVID-19. Why is everyone freaking out? So I'd kind of like to highlight some of the things there so that all our listeners can be a little more educated. I looked up all the sources. They're great. I, I attached a lot of those sources here for you all so you, you all can go look at yourself. But I think it's important for all of us, especially as medical providers, to really understand why this is important, why the recommendations are being made, and what we can do th through our circle of influence to help slow this and get back to some, some sense of normalcy. 
So to start, first of all, when it comes to any sort of pathogen and talking about how contagious it is, you'll see the the value called R0 thrown out a lot. R0, they call R0. it. R0, okay. Yes. And so R0 essentially represents how many individuals are likely to be infected by each infected, excuse me, each affected individual, right? So this presentation, of course, is in reference to the normal flu. And, you know, we all, especially while this is going on in Wuhan, I, I was thinking, you know, okay, the flu, like that would suck to get the flu. I joked with my staff, that would suck to get the flu, but like, I'm going to be fine if I get the flu. I just don't want to have to be out of work that long. But the flu versus COVID. So the flu R0 is a 1.3 versus COVID is a two and a half. So in what that means past the numbers, if one person's infected and has 10 social interactions, their potential to directly or indirectly infect a person with the flu you would directly or indirectly infect 14 versus COVID, 9,537 people. That hurts just to think about that. That seems so big. It's crazy. But it's exponential, okay? Now, other factors that go into contagiousness, flu, flu vaccination rate or vaccination rate. Now, of course, we know that the flu, we have a vaccine. And in the U.S., 154, sorry, I can't say numbers. 174.5 million people are vaccinated. So, of course, we have that reference to decrease the contagiousness of the flu. Another big factor that has to be considered is incubation period. And what that means is how long before the average infected person develops symptoms. So before the symptoms, people are actually the most likely to spread it to other people. With the normal influenza, it's two to three days before you start showing symptoms versus with COVID, seven to 14 days. Now, some of these numbers start to like make my stomach hurt when I say it out loud, but I just want to keep going here. So total infected due to all these facts. So R0, vaccination rate, incubation period, what are the total estimated or actual numbers that are infected? So for influenza, the actual number is about 36 million people or 10% of the people get the flu. With COVID, our projected estimations are 130 million U.S. population. So 40% of the U.S. population is expected to get COVID-19. So that's a big number, of course. But a lot of us have heard, okay, yeah, you'll get the flu or there's a chance you'll get it. But most people are pretty mild in presentation. So how many people are going to be expected to get hospitalized? So how many of them are sick enough and they need health care resources to care for them? With the flu, 1% of the people who get the flu require hospitalization. So that's 370,000 people. With COVID, 16%, which is 20 million people. That's not including any other reason you go to the hospital. So that's huge. What about those people that were hospitalized? How many people are going to require intensive care? So the intensive care unit, a ventilator. When it comes to the normal flu, the numbers range, but about 0.1% or 28,000 people who get the normal flu. Versus with COVID, 2.9% who are infected or 16% of the people who are hospitalized will need ICU. That's about 3 million people. In the U.S. alone, there are less than 100,000 ICU beds. So over six months, this is 500% of our capacity to care or provide care. And then lastly, what about the mortality rate? With the flu, the numbers range, but the it goes up to 0.1% mortality rate. So 22,000 people about die from the flu. With COVID, 
expected number is going to be 2%. We've all heard that number, and that can range depending on which which sources. And we know we aren't testing that much. So, of course, that changes the denominator for the true mortality rate. But the expected death is 2%, which if you look at all the numbers, that's 2.6 million people. That's a lot. So what can we do as doctors to stop the spread of this? We can't change the r not, but we can stop the spread. And that's through social distancing, this trendy social media term that we keep seeing thrown out as a hashtag. But it has a profound effect on the total number of cases. And if I give you an example, the r not was based off of 10, 10 people that you come in contact with. But what if it was only five instead of 10? So instead of the... As I mentioned, the 9,000 number, the 9,500 people, then if you only see five people, now you're only going to potentially or in directly or indirectly infect 98 instead of 9,000 people. Okay. What about the number infected? So if you half the number of people you come in contact with, instead of the 130 million get infected, it's only 65. The number of hospitalized, instead of 20 million, it's only 10. And the number of people in ICU, instead of 3 million, it's only one and a half. So this con- this concept of flattening the curve that everyone's also hashtagging, this is, we think of flattening the curve as in like lowering the number of people infected. And that's not exactly true. What it really is referring to is treating the same number of people, but over a longer period of time. So instead of it, this all happening in two months, it happens over 18 months. And why this matters is we're not overwhelming our resources, our hospital resources at any given time. So I think, go ahead. I think one of the things that's going to be interesting, and I'm not going to play devil's advocate because we just don't know, but you know, certainly, I mean, this isn't necessarily theoretical, but it is to some extent. And so, I mean, it's, I, I agree. I don't disagree, but the, um, you know, there's now, I think people are starting, you know, it only takes Americans about a week or two weeks to get, you know, fed up with something. And so, you know, what you see is um, people starting to change their tune in some areas and also, and and in both directions, both, you know, saying, you know, boy, this is, we really need to start acting. And then in, in other directions, you know, boy, this is an overreaction. You see it both ways. And um, certainly the, the data is there to support, you know, the need to, to do everything you're suggesting. You know, what's also interesting is, you know, this concept of herd immunity and, uh, the concept of, you know, there's going to be certain folks who gain immunity to this by being exposed to this. And that's kind of what you're saying. You know, this flattening the curve is really not to delay the ultimate, you know, this is going to, we don't have a vaccine. People are going to be exposed in some way, shape or form due to the infectious nature of this because of the R not. Uh, but you know, the, 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 the speed at which it affects people, uh, overwhelms the hospital systems. And that's what we're seeing is really the main problem. Um, and the degree to which the infection occurs causing these severe respiratory issues that even if ventilators and ICU beds are available, uh, patients become incapacitated and permanently um, affected, you know, on, uh, you know, an ongoing basis. So, well, um, just to be a little bit counter to that, I mean, again, in Seattle, 
I'm 10 days past where you were now, right? So right. maybe right. maybe a little less at this point, but I've seen this curve. I saw it when it first started and I was in the midst of telling my patients, don't worry, it's okay. Just yeah. clean, wash your hands, don't touch your face. Right, right. But but I think one one interesting thing, I was seeing this online actually, there were a lot of countries that reacted quickly. For instance, right. Taiwan, Singapore, right. a couple of the countries in the South Korea. Asian yeah. area where they quickly put bans in. Right. quickly we're controlling the virus and them right. even starting to lift those bans are already getting new cases. So I right. don't think we're ready to lighten the ban. If anything, we continue. And also to counter right. what you were saying about the herd immunity, people have tested twice for COVID-19. They get it, they're tested positive, yeah. they right. are healed, they're cured, and a couple of weeks later they get it again. So until yeah. we actually have a vaccine, I don't think we can count on any of those general mantras because it is a new strain to us. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's known. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's known. Things I've heard and read recently have have led us to believe that led me to believe <laughs> led me to believe that there is some immunity imparted on the individual who has it because I've I've heard what you've what you just mentioned also. So I think, you know, the general thing of all of this is there's a lot of I don't want to say misinformation, but there's a lot of information. Totally. And, you know, it is the other spin on it, which is unfortunate, is it's being politicized in totally. so many different directions. And so it's tough. Um, so at the end of the day, what do you do? You try and protect yourself and protect those around you that you love and, and make the next, you know, right decision that's placed in front of you. And, um, you know, as we've as we've laid out, there's a lot of uh, difficult parts of that. There's public health part, number one, and then the economic um, outcome of it too is is definitely significant. Totally. Well, and again, kind of saying what you're saying is I think as healthcare providers, we need to be an example for our patients, our community, et cetera, because people are looking to us to see how they should react, to see what they should do. A couple take-home points from the presentation I read and just other information I found online through reputable sources. Number one, a lot of us, including myself, were saying that, oh, younger people, you're less likely to be an issue. And, right. and that's actually not totally true. There's a new CDC report that found that Americans of all ages have been seriously sick by the virus, noting that 38% right. of Americans who've been hospitalized were between the ages of 20 to 54. There's also a recent case of a 12-year-old that's on a ventilator. So just because you're young does not mean that you're immune. Right. Um, also, when it comes to social distancing, another consideration, though, of course, we want to be with our family for support and care and, and you know, you're nervous and you want their support. There was a, a story out of New Jersey where four people in the same family have now died of coronavirus, all in the same family. So seven of this family family have become critically ill, four of which have died. These are all in New Jersey. And this is just a note. I mean, I have a pretty big family in the Seattle area, and, and we all want to get together and go to our family's cabin up in the mountains. And what if one of us have been exposed and now we get all of each other sick? I mean, it's just a consideration not to be scared, but really consider being with your, your, your core unit right now, just your core family, and potentially not exposing others in case you are exposed. I saw something like scientists are doing their part in researching for a cure, researching for a vaccine. Healthcare workers, of course, are putting their families at stake, seeing patients or going to the hospital. 
businesses are closing. They're doing their part to prevent us to be tempted to go out. But as a general public, we must do our part as much as we can to avoid spreading this. Just because your community only has a certain number or a low number of infected patients doesn't mean you're immune from a Seattle or a New York City or a New Jersey or a California. That just might mean that you're like 10 days behind, a week behind where everyone else is. So if you haven't closed, if you are still seeing routine exams, I think you really should consider the fact that this is a bigger thing than than, than the flu. This is a bigger thing than anything that we've been presented with in the past. And our uh, main purpose in doing all of this is to make sure that we're, you know, keeping up to date with you and keeping you uh, uh, up to date with us. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what you're up to. We'd love to see some videos. We'd love to see some pictures. Um, not just all this doom and gloom, but, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to spend more time with my kids. Uh, we've, we just moved. So we were, I've had lots of traveling lately that's been canceled. And, uh, so had the opportunity to, uh, you know, get everything done at my house and, and, uh, thank God, um, you know, we have that opportunity and, and, uh, that's been a wonderful blessing in disguise. So, you know, getting to spend some quality time with my kids has been a, a real blessing and I've uh, been really, really enjoyed that. And thank God they're happy, healthy, and, um, you know, uh, enjoying time with me too, I hope. <laughs> so, I've been doing um, a similar thing. I'm, I'm checking off all my, my uh, New Year's resolution to-dos. I've been spending 30 minutes a day learning Spanish. I've been painting my house. My dogs are ecstatic to spend some time with me every day. (laughs) My husband and I are getting along, though learning to work together in the same place is extremely challenging. (laughs) So we are going through almost like having a new roommate growing pains, although we haven't killed each other yet. So it is definitely has it's, you know, we can see all this stuff. We can be scared. Our normalcy has changed and that's very scary. But also there's a lot of positives that have come out of it. and if you can see that positivity in it at all. Absolutely. Well, anyways, tune in. Like we mentioned, we have a lot of upcoming episodes uh, that we are putting together for you special now that we have all this extra time to do this work for you. So um, that is it for now. But reach out to us for feedback, questions, stories, things you want us to talk about, any special topics, either on Instagram, Facebook, or through our app. Call or text to us, 920-350-8622. We never depart without saying thanks to Valley Contacts for their support, both for the amazing lenses they make and the great people they are to work with. And be sure and tune in and listen to our next episode. But until then, try not to blink.